again. Good to see all you guys. <clears throat> I am so excited to be back in the book of Hebrews. After being off for a couple of weeks. But I must tell you that I was so excited for Palm Sunday a couple of weeks ago. I was just so excited about when it was coming up and I knew that I would be doing something different. I was just so excited about getting into Palm Sunday. And then the next week I was so excited for Easter Sunday. I was just so excited about going to the football field at six o'clock in the morning. I didn't know how the weather would be, but it was getting better and better each day. And I was even getting more excited as I knew it was going to be more like really nice weather. So I was so excited about the sunrise service, but I was just as excited to come back over here for the one service that we had here. Um, I don't know. I was just, I don't know. I was just amazed once again at, uh, at the resurrection and just studying it and kind of going through it and stuff. And so needless to say, I get excited quite a bit. And so I'm excited to be back into the book of Hebrews. We have been in Hebrews chapter 11 for quite a while now, and this morning will be our sixth study and our final study in chapter 11. And so I will finish this chapter off today, this chapter of faith, where the writer of this letter has been encouraging the readers um, that if the Old Testament saints were able to have faith in that they were looking at the shadow of things to come. And again, he's writing to them not to discourage them, but to encourage them. Because he, he, he's writing to them about all these people of old that, that he, he's saying, if they could have faith, you too can have faith as well. He, he, he wasn't like trying to get on them and say, hey, only if you know, special people can have this kind of faith that would be written about. He's not doing that to them. He's not putting them on this trip of telling them, if you're good enough or if you have enough faith, maybe you could be counted with these kinds of people. He's not doing that at all. He's encouraging them that as they were looking forward, that they were like looking at the shadow of what was to come, namely Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that they too can have that kind of faith, that they could live the life of faith. Still looking forward in faith, but experiencing in faith what these saints of old only dreamed of, having the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. They longed for that to have a personal relationship with their Messiah, Jesus. No more living in the shadows for them. I'm going to do a lot of reading this morning. Even though we're going to cover the last part of chapter 11, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. By faith. Now faith, I'm already starting off wrong. Okay, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are, not visi- which are visible. 
by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through, and though it, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from him, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, that God, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even, even from the dead, from which... He also received him in the figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches um, than the treasures uh, in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereby the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. We'll stop right there. Looking at verse 30, we, we stopped last time in verse 29. Looking at verse 30 and 31. The, the, the time frame between verses 29 and 30 is about 40 years. And in those years, even though God showed Himself strong, even though throughout those, that time God showed mighty, mighty miracles as the children of Israel were, were in the wilderness for that time, the children of Israel's unbelief weighed out, far, far outweighed their faith. In, in that span of 40 years, even though God was always with them and He went before them every step of the way, there was so much unbelief that nothing is mentioned of, about their faith here even though God provided for them every day. And so it's interesting that in that past 40 years from, from verse 29 to, to 30, that nothing was mentioned. But when he does mention um, the, the, the entering into the promised land, it's interesting to me that the writer uh, didn't mention what it took to get into the promised land and to Jericho in particular. You see, what happened was that they were to cross the Jordan River. And, and in entering the, the, the promised land, to me, entering or crossing the Jordan River is as monumental as crossing the Red Sea. And some might say, well, come on, Zeke, you know, you have the Red Sea and then you have a river. What's the big deal? Have you ever tried to hold back water at any time? I had a leak in my house this past week. You can't hold back water. You can shop back it, <laughs> but it continues to come in. It goes through every little nook and cranny to get into the other room where it's not supposed to be. But you can't hold water at bay, and so any of that would be monumental. The Red Sea, when, when they came to the Red Sea, God had told him, well, Moses, you go and, and, and you put your, their staff up, and the Lord parted the sea, and they were able to walk by. When the children of Israel were now going to cross into the promised land, the, the Lord had told Joshua, I want you to have the, the priests go down to the edge of the river as they hold the Ark of the Covenant. And as they get to the edge of the, of, of the water, it, it will stop when they put their foot into the water. And as soon as they put their foot into the water, it kind of like just backed up however far back it went. But all of a sudden, the water that was, that was raging there, because it says that at that time, the Jordan River was overflowing, 
it got backed up. Now, I don't know if it went this way or what it did, but it just like stopped. And to me, it's like amazing that, that anything like this could ever happen. And, and so to me, it's, it's kind of remarkable that the, the writer here doesn't, doesn't do that, doesn't talk about the faith that they had to go and step into the water and the waters would stop flowing. Instead, he, he focuses on the faith that it took to take down the walls of Jericho. That's what he focuses on. And if you know the story, it's still an amazing story. You, you, you know, if you, if you know the story, hopefully if you do, that, that, that you understand that Jericho was a well-fortified city. It had these humongous walls. It wasn't like a, a wall that you built for a planter or something. It was a big wall that people actually lived on and, and things. It was, it was big. And God said that they would go and they would knock down these walls and these walls come down in the most unorthodox, unconventional kind of way. The Lord had told them to march around the city once a day for six days. Now, can you imagine as they are getting this planning committee together to go conquer Jericho as they're sitting around and Joshua stands up and he begins to tell them, okay, the Lord has spoken to us and all these people are ready, man. Okay, what are we going to do? Where's our weapons? Well, hold, hold, hold on there. This is what we're going to do. This is what the Lord has told us. We're going to march around the city of Jericho and they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the weapons? What weapons are we going to be using? Well, we're, after we do that, we're just going to go back to our houses. Ah, okay, strategy here. What, we're scaring them, doing something? He says, no, well, we're going to walk around the city each day for six days. Ah, and then we attack. Well, not quite. On the seventh day, we're going to do that seven times. Ah, now we're going to attack. Well, not quite. This is what we're going to do. Priests will have their trumpets. Okay, the blast for attack. And when they blow the trumpets, all the people, all of us, we're just going to shout really loud. Can you imagine? It's like, what? We're just going to shout really loud. Watch what the Lord will do. And that's what they do. They go and they do this. And again, it takes faith for them to go do something like that because it's like, how do walls come tumbling down by marching around and yelling? They do when God's involved. When, when, when He is the one that's telling you, this is what you're going to do because I have gone before you to fight this battle. You don't need weapons. I will go before you. I will take care of you. At the same time that, that they're surrounded or surrounding Jericho and coming around Jericho, at the same time there is a lady named Rahab that lives in Jericho. She had received the spies who had went to, who had gone to go see how they were going to do all this. <laughs> they were sent before it all happened, and she helped them. She she took care of them, and she she hid them. It's interesting about this lady Rahab because she knew the history of the children of Israel. She had heard about how God had got them through the Red Sea. She understood and he, she, she, she knew how powerful God was to deliver the Israelites 
for 40 years in the wilderness. She knew all about that. She knew the history. And, and if she knew that, then everybody else knew that. That God is able to do these amazing things. And so, because she knew who God was in that sense, she asked the, the spies to promise that her family, her and her family would be saved. And so they give her the instructions of what she's to do on the day that they march around seven times. And when these walls come tumbling down, what she was to do. And she did it because she had faith. She trusted that God would come through for her. Now, Rahab is like the most unlikely character that you would find in this chapter. I know every one of them in this chapter that we have looked at, they had their faults, they had their things, but this is different. This is a woman, a Gentile woman. She's not even a Jew. She's a Gentile woman and she's a prostitute. She's a harlot. And I'm sure the spies, when they got home from spying out the land, when they go and tell their wives where they stayed, I'm sure the wives are going, Really? Now, you couldn't have found a little convent with some nuns or something. You had to go where this, what, a harlot? A Gentile harlot? Interesting about Rahab. She is the mother of Boaz. Some of you guys know who Boaz is. The husband of Ruth. It's interesting because she ends up being the great, great, grandmother of King David. And she is in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing that God would do something like that? He would put somebody like that in this chapter of faith. And what the readers of that time could take from verses 29, speaking about crossing the Red Sea, 30 and 31, was that because of faith, they could have victory over their enemies. Because they trust in God, then when you have a sea in front of you and the enemy coming behind you, God will still see you through, that He is able. That, that whenever you're facing a rock in a hard place, God will come through. What, what they could take from this also is that they can triumph over insurmountable adversities and adversaries. That when there's these walls that, that need to come down, that God is able to do it in unconventional ways. When we are thinking, it's like, how do I do this? He is able. And another thing that they can take from this is, is that if faith could be given to a Gentile woman prostitute <laughs> like Rahab, then we're in great company. <laughs> Because He'll take any of us. Any of us. If we just trust Him. If we believe what He says, then we can walk in that kind of faith. We, we, we also can be counted as worthy <laughs> of that kind of faith. Verse 32. says, What more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, 
escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became vigil, uh, vigilant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with this sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all those, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. It's almost like the writer of this letter, (laughs) as he is getting going here, he gets to this point and he realizes that this letter could get really, 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 really long. If he keeps on getting into detail about each person in the Old Testament that he's talking about. I mean, even just giving them one verse, he, he could have spoke a lot about every one of these people just about, especially David and, and Samuel. He, he, he could have talked a lot about these guys and it's almost like he gets as far as the book of Joshua and thought, whoa, I still have 33 books left. I better shorten things up. I better sum up. And instead of continuing to get, go into detail, he begins to just name some. And then he names some of the actions of others without giving us their name. But I'm sure he could have gone on and on and on. And in those who he named are four judges, a king, a prophet slash priest. (laughs) And then he just kind of, and the prophets (laughs) as a whole. And the four judges, you can read about them in the book of Judges. And the king and the prophet slash priest, you can read about them in First and Second Samuel. The writer could have easily said so much about each one of these men. But with each one of them, as we have seen in all the other people that we have covered in this chapter, they didn't always get it right. They had their flaws. They had their times of doubt. Each one of these people But when they got it right, it was worth mentioning. (laughs) Even if it by name or by their actions even, it was worth mentioning. But he mentions Gideon. Gideon was a man who doubted quite a bit. Even as God was speaking to him about what he wanted for him to go do, he needed signs from God. And even though God would give him a sign, he says, okay, well, that was good, but can you show me another sign? Just to make sure. And when God would, then he would, in a different situation, well, show me a sign on this one, and then double it again. Just so I can know that it is you. 
And it's interesting because God did not like, you know what, Gideon, I could go use someone else who won't doubt me, who doesn't need these signs. He doesn't do that. He kind of appeases him and and makes these signs for him to prove that he is speaking to him. God still uses him for his purpose. And he uses him to go win a battle because he trusted God. But he, he, he went into this battle with a lot less men than he wanted, probably. As he calls the children of Israel for battle, and they all gather around, God says, there's too many of them. We need a lot less. Why don't you say this? Those of you guys who are afraid, little girls, that want to go home and not fight in battle, go on home. 20,000 go home. You're thinking, really that many little girls that came out that decided we want to go? But even so, even with the number that he had, God says, that's still too many. I want you to go take them down to this little brook. And those who do this, and and I, I will test them for you, those who do this and those who do that, I will choose which ones. And so he chooses only 300 men to go after this battle, to go fight in this battle. And the neat thing about it was that Gideon was okay with it. Okay, God. Because he had heard God. He had trusted God. He believed God. He had faith that God would go and, and win this battle for him. And it's interesting because their weapons are trumpets, torches, and pitchers. And oh yeah, they're going to yell at the end. <laughs> they will make a lot of noise. That is their weapons. But they trusted that God would be faithful and He would come through. Barak had victory over a much stronger army. But it's interesting because he needed Deborah, the judge and prophetess at the time, to come with him. Oh, he would go and and beat Sisera, the commander of that army. But it's interesting because another woman had kind of already killed him to capture him or to, to, to win this battle. This, this woman, Sisera comes to this woman and, and, and wants her to hide him and ask for some milk and then he's going to go to sleep. And this woman goes and te- takes a, a tent peg and a hammer and while he's sleeping goes and drives the tent stake through his temple into the ground. And so when Barak shows up, she goes, Oh, I know who you're looking for. He's like stuck to the bed somewhat. He's over there. And, and, and what makes this interesting to me is, is that somehow he is mentioned for going out and trusting in God and getting the victory even though he needed other people to, to kind of go before him and, and, and help him along the, the way. But it's interesting because he was, he was faithful. He was faithful even though he said, Deborah, I can't go by myself. You need to come with me. Even though this woman had already killed Sisera. And yet he is mentioned here as one who who trusted God. Samson was another one that he mentions here. Another interesting character. He wasn't much of a godly man. Even though God had given him great strength, physical strength. He yielded so much to his 
fleshly desires, his fleshly appetite. He had a problem. (laughs) And he would always fall in that. And yet he's mentioned here because at the end of his life, when he was old and blind because he had his eyes plucked out, he still trusted that God would, would take vengeance over his enemies. And while he's chained to the temple pillars where they were at, knowing that everybody was in there, he prayed for strength and he trusted that God would give him strength. And he brought down the pillars, killed all the people that were in him, plus his own life. But he is counted as one who has faith. One who trusted God to give him the strength. And then you have Jephthah. Jephthah was the the son of a harlot. He had gotten kicked out of his family because his brother says, you're you're the son of a different woman. You will have no inheritance from our father. And they kicked him out. And so he went around and he hung out with some shady characters and they went raiding other places. He became like a bandit out there. And yet when Israel got threatened with war, they went and they called him to come and and, and give them a hand. They asked him to come back and lead them. And he did. And he won the day. He went and, 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 and had victory because he trusted that God would go with him and that God would deliver the, the nation of Israel. But in the process, he made a very controversial vow concerning his daughter. Well, he had, he had said, Lord, whatever comes out of my house, I will sacrifice, I will give as a burnt offering. And his daughter came out, a young virgin girl. And the controversy is, did he sacrifice her in this human sacrifice type thing, or did he burn a burnt offering? Regardless of what it was, she, she was a perpetual virgin. And so it was very controversial. People still did he or didn't do, do that. But you can read about it in Judges chapter 11. And then we have David and Samuel. And both of these men were great men of faith. Not perfect by any means, but great men of faith who trusted their God. David subdued many kingdoms and both of them worked works of righteousness. And they received promises. But man, oh man, can you talk a lot about David. Man, books are written about David. Samuel, an incredible prophet, priest. Daniel was the one who stopped the mouths of lions. He trusted that God would deliver him. It was his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were the ones that quenched the violence of the fire when they refused to bow down to the king of Babylon when they were in captivity. And being thrown into the fiery furnace, they trusted that God would deliver And if not, they would still not bow down to the king, even if God didn't deliver them. They trusted him. They trusted God, though. They all knew in whom they have believed. And they knew that God was able to save them. And if not, they would still trust him. All these examples, there are many, many examples of how God delivered those who trusted in him. 
And many were made strong when they trusted in, in their God. Understanding that they couldn't do it in their own strength. And that he would go before them in battle. The women who received their dead from uh, back to life saw God working through Elijah and Elisha. Both incredible men of God who trusted God and did some crazy miracles under crazy circumstances. Both of them. And yet it says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Here in verse 35, we see this transition happen. And it is important to note that not all men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverance. It didn't always happen the way they thought it would. Others, it said, were tortured, not accepting deliverance. It says that they died. They, 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 they des- desired instead to be tortured and to, to die. And the word others in verse 36 is others of a different kind. These others had faith. But God did not see it fit to deal with them in the same way that He dealt with Moses and Gideon and, and David and them. Verses 36 and 37, I think the writer is giving us and the readers a balance. Here he he is showing both sides of faith. How God delivers in one instance and doesn't in another instance. And it's not that they had any lack of faith. Just because they didn't have victory over the physical. These people who suffered at the hands of the world, in the hands of people, did not have any less faith because they they went through it. In the eyes of the world, these people were defeated when they lost, when they were killed, when they were imprisoned, when they were tortured. That's the way the world looked at them. But in the economy of God, they still had victory. Even through their suffering, even through the torture that they went through, whatever happened and came against them in God's economy, they were victorious. Because God gave them the strength through faith to go through the suffering. God gave them the strength and the power even through death. It would not be right for us to ever assume that just because a brother or sister is destitute, afflicted, or tormented, that they have a lack of faith. Or that somehow God is not happy with them and that He is not on on their side. It, it, It would be wrong of any of us to assume that that person is being punished by God. I think that there are some churches and parachurches and ministries who who have a short-sighted view of the Scriptures. Because we have a prime example here in in Hebrews chapter 11 of people who had faith, who were counted as having faith, 
and yet they were killed and they were tortured and they were imprisoned and they went without. I think we need to be careful that we would not be, be in, 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 in that frame of mind of thinking, well, you must not be right with God because this is happening in your life. Or because maybe if your faith was higher or, or stronger, you wouldn't be going through these things. No, the world will throw at us what the world wants to throw at us. And the enemy will be right there with them. But in verse 38, it says about all of these, of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. Huh. Faith in God has always been foolishness to the world. Faith in God will always still be foolishness to the world. Faith in God was never meant to be cool. <laughs> you understand that? The gospel was not meant to be cool. To be the happening thing to do. That's not what faith in God was all about or is about. The world is hostile towards God. The world is at war with God every day, every moment of the day. Even though God Himself so loved the world that He gave His Son for the world, the world still comes against Him and hates Him. The world system. And the world economy, or in the world economy, what we do and how we trust God will never make sense to them. It will never. People are to be won over to Christ one by one. I, I really don't think that the world as a whole will repent. In one sense, it has been disqualified because of the ruler of this age. It is the lives and hearts of individuals that God will make worthy through faith in Jesus Christ, one by one, to be won over. Faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. Because we will never be approved of this world. Not by and large. And so we need to quit seeking the approval of this world. If God is glorified in delivering His people, He will do it. He will do it all the time. If He sees it fit to be glorified by not delivering His people, He will do it. He will allow things in our lives to happen if we can get... If He can get the glory through our suffering, He will do it. We must never, ever conclude, once again, that the absence of deliverance means a lack of faith on the part of God's people. Let us never put a trip on people like that. Faith looks to the future. Because that's where the greatest rewards will be in the future. That's where they'll be found. The people in this chapter that, that are named and those who are not named did not receive the promises. They died, it says in verse 13, in faith. 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. God was, or has witnessed that they had faith. And one day they will receive their, their reward. God's purpose in involving Old Testament saints and New Testament saints is that one day we will be in that heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, not this place. We today should give thanks to the saints of old, those who endured so much, who went through so much, who faithfully continued during the most difficult times. You see, we get to enjoy the rewards, a lot of those rewards are the better blessings today because of who Jesus Christ is. They saw it afar off. We get to experience it and enjoy it today. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, it says. But this kind of faith grows as we listen to and as we read His Word. It it grows when we fellowship with Him in, in worship and in prayer. That's where we find our strength. When we can look to His Word and believe what He says. Faith is possible in all kinds of believers. We've looked at that throughout these people. Different situations, different times. It's not for the elite saints only. It's for all. This kind of faith. We should never look at this chapter and say, man, these people, man, they are in the hall of faith. And you think, I could never attain that. I could never be in a hall of faith somewhere. But like I shared with you when we started this chapter a while back, just about every one of those could have easily been in the hall of shame as well. On any given day. Because when they got it right, <laughs> they made, God made mention of it. And so these Old Testament saints and these readers of this letter were no different than you and I. They just trusted God. They just trusted that God would do what He said He would do. They believed God no matter the circumstances or the consequences. They just trusted. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning in your faith? Maybe, maybe this morning when Gary shared that, that maybe if, if you don't know Jesus, you could like accept Him. Maybe you did. That would be awesome. Maybe you're one of the believers who've been struggling in your faith. Surrender. <laughs> Say, Lord, I can't. I can't do this, but you can in me. Read His Word. Believe what His Word says and He will see you through anything. I can guarantee you. Because that's what His Word is all about. It speaks to us. We need to just trust it and believe it and do it. Amen? As we close in prayer, let's stand as we close in prayer. The worship team will come up. We're going to have prayer teams up here. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your life, what a great opportunity today for you to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and and become a, a, a Christian. There's going to be people down here that are willing to pray for you. Come and tell them. And maybe you did it while communion was being passed out. They would be thrilled to hear from that. 
I'll be out in the foyer. You can come and find me and tell me what you did. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we thank you and praise you once again for just reminding us of what faith looks like, Lord, through all these people in the Old Testament. Father, you were faithful in what you said, and they believed you, Lord. Even though at times they had times of doubt, times of rebellion, yet, Lord God, they turned to you and they trusted you, and you counted them worthy to be put into your word. So what an example you've you've given to us, Lord, of regular people who just trusted in you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I ask that God, whenever they find themselves in difficult situations, insurmountable obstacles in their way, that they would trust you, Lord. That they would go back to what they know about you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are true that you will see them through anything because you are able. I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters boldness in their faith, Lord, to understand that you will never leave them or forsake them, but you will always go before them and come up behind them. We bless your name and we thank you, Lord. Again, capture the hearts of those who might be here who don't know you, Lord. Capture them right now, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys.